listening to episode 208 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we continue our analysis of season one of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse, starring Eliza Dushku and Olivia Williams. And how you doing, man? Good. Yeah. Hanging in there. All right. Good. Surviving here. the hobble, the summer of the hobble. Yeah. Haven't driven <laughs> yet, though, right? Not yet. Uh, get the boot off, hopefully, in a week. You need a golf cart, man. Yeah, that would be nice. Get around the neighborhood. <laughs> we got somebody, or well, you know where I live, that, that uh-huh. one street that's not really in my neighborhood. It, it's across uh, Reese Road, and somebody back there has got a golf cart. And, uh, uh, man, back in the days when I used to work at Merriweather Post Pavilion when I was going to college, we had golf carts all over the place. These Harley Davidsons, uh-huh. a, lot of, a lot of fun. Nice. All right, but before we go too far, as always, we want to remind you, love to hear from you, emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab, and you could record your own audio clip, send us the MP3 as an attachment, send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatch, but I think we'd encourage you more than anything to join the Facebook group and join the discussions there. So... Uh, I just want to mention this one thing, and I've been holding it for a couple of weeks now. Uh, I mentioned the TV series that Tamo Pennicut was associated with called Medina, and I couldn't find out a lot of information. Well, they, they brought it out at, at San Diego Comic-Con, and it is described as the first ever sci-fi fantasy series from the Middle East. And it's created by hmm. filmmaker Ahmed Al-Baker. Some other credits, including Jigsaw, Piranha 3D, which uh, I definitely missed those two. But, I, you know, he was involved with Caprica, 12 Monkeys, Battlestar Galactica, Fallen, Smallville. So he, he's got a lot of cred in the sci-fi market. And it's then further described as uh, a cast of survivors, both human and human-like, who face nightmares, parallel realities, and their own personal demons as they decide what is most important. Survival, legacy, love. On the cast, and the one name I'm going to bring up, obviously Tam O'Penniket, is Eric Roberts. You know who Eric Roberts is, right? Yep. And he's known for? Uh, Being Julie Roberts' brother. Yeah, but more than that. Or a lost girl. No. Oh, right, right, right. He was Bo's father. I've got. I forgot about that. Well, I thought that's what you were going for. Doctor Who. Uh, Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, you forgot. I, I he, did. He was the master in the 1996 right. movie, right? With right, Doctor right, Number right. Eight. Yes. 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 Right. Yeah, uh, it's pretty good. Well, he's really good, and I certainly contend he's a much better actor than his sister. Obviously, she's a, a much bigger name, and, and I like her. I think she's good, yeah. but but I think he's great. I don't know if you saw the movie Star 80, and there's a lot of people that contend this is what really ruined his career. Dorothy Stratton was a Playmate centerfold, and her boyfriend, then husband, uh, basically was this obsessive compulsive controlling he he murdered her and then killed himself and he played the husband in the movie star 80 and it was uh, just such a disturbing character yeah that you know it stuck with him for a while it you know we we've have mentioned that before that uh 
you know, sometimes you can be so good at something that it actually kind of messes up the rest of your career, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I read something the other day when we were you know, talking about Doctor Who and the new Doctor and, and Capaldi and what he was going to do next. And, and the writer was mentioning that post-Doctor Who, these actors were having a difficult time. And I'm thinking like, what are you talking about? I mean, you know, Tennant has certainly done Broadchurch, uh, you know, among other things. And, and Broadchurch is no small yeah, series. Jessica Jones. Uh, Jessica Jones and Matt Smith is now in The Crown, which is a pretty big deal. I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix I haven't or not. seen it, but I've, I heard it's very well received. Yeah, he's really good. And, and, and certainly Christopher Eccleston is, you know, I mean, he was in sure. The Leftovers, obviously. And, he's, and yeah, he's got tons of work coming his way. So I'm not sure exactly what they're talking about. I think they, so, you know, those, the, the recent guys, I think, have kind of broken the mold. Um, though Sylvester McCoy was just in the, the Hobbit movies. And, uh, so, you know, I mean, but you look at the, the guys before, you know, really the, the, the show was remade in 2005 and just not a lot of those doctors really, you know, got a lot of work after they stopped being the doctor. I think, you know, Tom Baker is probably the, the you know the one everyone points to because you know he was the guy who for loads of people he is the doctor he's the guy that was you know many for many many people the first doctor that they saw and probably someone who when you say doctor who a lot of people picture you know a guy with you know long curly hair and a crazy scarf but once he was done you know, what did he do after that, right? Yeah, true. And and like you said, for me, he was the first doctor that I was exposed to on, on PBS. And, you know, perhaps he's viewed as a cautionary tale that he stayed too long because, as we've seen now, three years seems to be the number. So whether it's the actor himself that decides to walk away or whether they're pushed out. I mean, nobody's said that they've been pushed out, but you never know what goes on behind the scenes. So. Yeah, and I mean, I, you just get a, a feeling with Stephen Moffat that it's just, you know, and we talked about this for years and years, how it seems like he's kind of burned the candle at both ends, you know, so um, I can imagine him just being like, man, I have just got to step back, you know, and sure. you know, look at it. I mean, like to be a showrunner for Doctor Who has got to be a major time and energy drain. You know? Oh, you would certainly think. So. so, yeah. All right, well, let's get on to Dollhouse. And this is episode. Oh, really quickly before we do, I just want yeah, to ask sure. you because I know I already know the answer to this one, but just a shot. Have you seen the the show Will yet? On I have TNT? not. No, okay. but I did run across it. Is it on Netflix? Where did I, I ran across it it's somewhere when TNT, I was scanning I channels? Think. Okay, but anyway, it's uh, worth a look. Really, very yeah. clever show. Really well done. I just had recorded the first four episodes and just binged them last week and. Uh, it's uh, really, really, really good. I think you'd like it. So, okay. throw yeah. And, and for those of you that don't know, Young Will Shakespeare, and it's, I don't think it's really based on any fact, right? It's just kind of supposition, but. but right. Uh, and they throw a lot of stuff in there, like especially contemporary, the theory that he was a Catholic. That's actually a pretty big part of the, of the show. Um, you know, uh, why he left his family is 
glossed over, but they kind of deal with it. Uh, they definitely deal with the authorship issue and, and kind of make reference to that in a number of occasions. And so there's a lot of stuff that uh, Shakespeare scholarship has been kicking about the last couple of years that they uh, handle in the show. So if I, I know it's nerdy to say that, but that's like one of the main kicks I get out of it is seeing them take, not directly, but through the story, taking on these issues that have been big in, in the Shakespeare academic world for a long time. Okay, the scene with he and Marlowe getting drunk and him saying, ah, Chris, yeah, you can have it all. I don't care. Yeah. Put, put your well, name on them. Yeah, it's just like a lot of collaboration going on, you know, and everything. But Marlowe, obviously, as his, um, you know, people have always speculated on what his deal is because, you know, like, uh, he was an employee of, of, of the Crown. And so, like, what kind of, was he a spy? What did he do? And everything. So that's that's a big part of the show, too. So just if you're uh, kind of a fan of Elizabethan, uh, the Elizabethan era and, uh, Shakespeare, you should definitely check out Will. Cool. All right. Good show. All right. Well, Dollhouse, episode 10, season one, Haunted, written by Jane Espenson, Marissa Tancherone, and Jed Whedon. Yeah. This what one, a great uh, writing team there, eh? Yeah. And it shows in this episode, uh-huh. directed by Elodie Keene, who also directed Glee, which is a show, obviously, I do not watch. And maybe you have because you have kids. No, uh, I mean, it's a little bit. Uh, before that you know like they were too young to watch glee when it was on well i was gonna say you raised them better but that's (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she also directed felicity and felicity a lot of people may not know was really the show that got jj abrams noticed that was the show he did before moving on to alias okay so i think what was felicity oh uh, i can't think of the girl's name uh you know young girl i don't know teenager maybe early college years uh i don't know everybody knows who she is it's just i'm blanking on her name but okay. this one aired on april 21st 2009 now i just want to bring up the name of the, of the one guest star the guy that played the husband jack and, and his name is ian anthony dale and he's got the lead currently in a cbs show called salvation which michael and i are going to be talking about in the august version of sci-fi fidelity but the premise here is that there's an asteroid that's on a collision course with earth and this mit college student has got this little pet project and he discovers it and he tries to go tell people and then suddenly people are turning up dead and we find out that the government knows about it but isn't letting anybody know. And, you know, it, it's not bad. I've seen the first three episodes. Uh, I mean, the first three have aired. I, I don't have any screeners for this one. Right. But, you know, it's okay. It's not bad. But but he's got the lead. He's, uh, I don't know, some sort of presidential liaison or director hmm. of something. I forget exactly. But anyway. Okay. Well, there's so, two other kind of notable guest stars here as well. Are you, is guess, one of them the brother? Yes. Okay. I, do you recognize I, him? I do, but I don't. Well, he's in the, the Josh Whedon rat pack here. Well, no, that's what we should call it. But it's a Josh Whedon thing he's been in. It was supposed to be the third episode, but actually ended up being the first of Firefly called The Train Job. And he was the sheriff. Ah, uh, I remember. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. 
So okay. yeah, so that, that was uh, cool seeing him. And then probably the person who came out of this right now is probably the most famous or has the most notable uh, gig going right now is the the lady who played um, uh, the daughter Jocelyn. Yeah, see, she didn't seem familiar. But well, she wouldn't because you don't watch Better Call Saul. But if you okay. watch Better Call Saul, as like I do, and then early on I said. That voice, oh my god! I know, and then I'm like, oh, "That's Kim Wexler." So she's got like one of the major starring roles, probably next to uh, Saul himself or Jimmy, um, the the biggest role in the show. And uh, so she right now is, you know, huge. Um, so, oh, what's her name? Uh, Rhea Seahorn. Uh, so that was, you know, like she's much younger here, obviously. So. She, you know, she she didn't. It, when I first saw her, it didn't really click. But when I heard her talk, I'm like, "Whoa!" Yeah, so it was cool. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, one of the things, taking a look at the title, "Haunted," and I guess I look at it on on the one hand, it seems like you've got a lot of individuals that are haunted by something that you know, in some cases, is at least tangentially associated with the dollhouse. I mean, obviously, the murder victim who comes back to essentially solve her own murder is kind of haunted by somebody that would want to kill her. And as she says in the episode, this is something that she's experienced from childhood to the present. But I think more than anything, I see Adele DeWitt. And we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. It's what's been going on here really seems to be affecting her emotionally. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure why, all of a sudden, and again, we talked about a timeline and we don't know really how long, you know, things have been going on. We know she worked with uh, Dominic for, I think she said four years, but that doesn't necessarily tell us how long she's been in charge of the dollhouse. Yeah, you can tell she is definitely affected by recent events here. There's no question about it. Um, and, you know, and she admits to being upset about Dominic, but we also know she's probably pretty much devastated by having to give up the the guy. What was the name of Victor's? The, yeah. The, see, you, you remembered it last week. I forgot it last week. Yeah. So the, the, you know, being Miss Lonely Hearts, I guess we could say, you know, she had to give up this guy that, uh, even though he was a doll that she seemed to be kind of in love with and everything was so, you know, she's, there's a lot of stuff she's going through right now. Well, right. And she even talks about it in relation to Topher's little uh, activity uh, about the loneliness that, you know, comes with being part of the dollhouse. And I think she even mentions sometimes those that are least able to make a connection are hit the hardest, which, which of course makes complete sense. But, you know, we'll get to him in a little bit. But the other thing that that really comes out of this episode, and we talked about the dollhouse as a cautionary tale of technology gone awry, but we learned that at least one client has had her consciousness stored at the dollhouse in anticipation of what? Now, she says she was paranoid somebody would try to kill her, but then DeWitt kind of lets go that, you know, she just wanted to try out a younger body. So I don't know what it was. I mean, clearly these two are friends, but mm-hmm. 
are we led to believe that this goes beyond this woman, that there are other dollhouse clients who have had their consciousness stored on one of Topher's cartridges? Well, Nick is not too surprised that his mother did this, right? Not so at all. I would say that it is extremely likely that this is not a isolated incident. Right. And, and, you know, we've certainly thought about the possibilities that dollhouse technology provides, but this brings up maybe the most dangerous, which is, as Boyd points out, eternal life. Because if the dollhouse can give life after death, as Boyd asks Topher, where does that end? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and we've talked about this so much in the show, but the, the idea of, you know, our, you know, technology outstripping our philosophy. You know, we have this technology and this ability to do something that can, like, adult Adele blows it off like, well, this is just a one-time thing. But, uh, yeah, but Boyd rightly points out, like, you know, if this gets out, what what if, you know, this could be really like a super dangerous thing, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we know those of us that have seen the show that, that Boyd, you know, he, he's got a reason to be concerned and I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Right. Especially after I spoiled the uh, game of Thrones, apparently last night for Michael Keller. You did I mean, huh? not, not. Well, I mean, not to digress too far, but he does like a little, I assumed it was a live thread on the Facebook group and I popped in a little comment and he was like, dude, I'm like, dude, it's 1045. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you definitely should have, should have watched Game of Thrones or the minute, like a, you shouldn't be, if you haven't seen the episode of Game of Thrones yet, you should probably be away from all forms of, uh, of of social media until it's done because well, you know then i thought maybe uh, he's on the west coast i don't know but oh yeah that's a possibility too but, uh, so. but yeah no that i mean that that's uh, and you know what i felt terrible when i this is you're gonna you're gonna die when you hear this well you're not gonna die but you know like uh but i spoiled the end of um the usual suspects for my cousin who's uh into film whom I had just assumed I was just like, there's no way he hasn't seen this movie yet. When it, when you've seen, have you seen Usual Usual Suspects? Yeah, but it's been so long. Kaiser well, the, Soze, the Kaiser Soze, right? Yeah. yeah, I was just like talking. I was so excited to be talking about it with him because I, I was like knew that he would have seen it, and I I didn't see my cousin that much, and I was just like, well, you know, when he when JB shows up, I get to talk to him about it because he definitely will see it. We'll talk about, it. and I, I just like blurted it out. He was like. Dude, I haven't seen it yet. I was like, oh no. <laughs> Dude, I just totally ruined it for him. And so I, I just, I felt so, like it was like so, it was, must have been probably 20 years ago it happened. But still, like, I still feel so bad about that. But so I, I know. I've talked to him mean. since. Right. <laughs> he hasn't <laughs> called or seen me since then. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, the other thing that was cool about this episode is that, you know, we, we do have an engagement. But we also have a procedural and, you know, the, the life after death model gives Margaret a chance to investigate her own murder, but also evaluate her own life. Not unlike for me, you know, the, the classic 
example of that is George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. But here, of course, it's a series of missteps because she gets to hear how her children really feel about her. And at the end of the day, she was a bitch. You know? Well, well, in real life, she was guarded, and pushy, reserved, and, um, you know, yeah, probably a little bit. Like, go ahead and call her a bitch, might be a bit strong, but she, she, her self image, let's say, is, uh, vastly different than the image that everyone else had of her well true and i guess the nice thing is that she got to essentially make amends and while you know they're they're not going to have a chance to reconnect because this is it and i love that line where she uh is talking to dewitt at the end and dewitt says you know did you have like a little bit of a inkling to maybe hop on a plane and disappear in this body and she says yeah but i know you adele you'd have tracked me down i'd have never left the airport yeah yeah it's just you know true which probably. exactly <laughs> then we talked a little bit about Topher's story and the emotional toll that working as a dollhouse can take but ballard's emotional toll and, and you know that's a difficult thing to get a read on what the hell's going on with him because he has knowledge now of the truth about Melly, or at least some truth. Mm-hmm. And his reactions to this are, are all over the place. Yeah, I was about to say, that you took the words right out of my mouth, and he is way all over the place. Right. But then I think more than anything, what this episode does for me, as Boyd tells DeWitt, is this the beginning of the end? And... You know, he's he's not necessarily wrong. We'll just leave it at that. So, all right, well, why don't we talk about Topher first? Because I found that one really interesting, you know, running his annual diagnostic. <laughs> and uh-huh. I guess everybody's making air quotes for the word diagnostic. Yeah, definitely. So he, he tells Boyd he needs an active to help. And the interesting thing that I found Boyd says that, well, Sierra's been inactive the longest and signs off on it. She comes out of her imprint as this hip gamer chick, goes right to the beer, snacks, and gaming. Right. But what I didn't really think about the first time is that Topher doesn't choose Sierra. Boyd does. Right. So so then the question is, does it matter to Topher whether it's a guy or a girl? Definitely not. It, okay. it does, because it's not a, a a romantic thing. This is a a friend, thing, a buddy thing. Okay. He's got no friends. He's got right. You know all he's and we've we've speculated before about how much time Topher spends at the dollhouse, and it's probably pretty close to twenty four seven, right? Right. And so he has he has no friends. He's got no one to hang out with. He's got no one to decompress with. So while it's it's for obviously funny for the most part um it's actually kind of poignantly sad when we at the end when we see adele and boyer watching from a distance and they say you know blows out the candles on his birthday twinkie or whatever right and and, and that's again as you said it's, it's so sad and and the fact that he has nobody at his intellectual level so even his co-workers can't really connect 
with him, you know, in, in a lot of ways. And of course, we know down the road there will be a character that he is able to connect to, and mm-hmm. we'll just leave that where it lies. But the other thing, though, you know, about whether or not it's a guy or a girl, I mean, I guess what I got to thinking is that, well, he is a guy. I mean, and not that he's necessarily you use the word romantic. Uh, I'll just say like a physical connection, because I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, somebody in his situation that if he does want a female or, you know, maybe he goes the other way or maybe he goes both ways. So you know, who knows? Or maybe I guess, as you imply, it's more of just a buddy thing, but I don't know. I mean, cause Adele says it's once a year. That's right. not a lot, you know? No, no. But so we see them playing this, I don't know, some kind of sci-fi information game while they're throwing that football, which she's got a pretty good arm. <laughs> Like yeah, that. I was I was saying I, I was um you know whenever you get a scene like this I was kind of like all right let's see if this uh actress can can actually throw and she uh she threw a decent football for sure I think better than uh uh Fran Kranz did actually who was left-handed I think it's the coach yeah. in us that we notice these kinds of things yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah she was throwing some nice Definitely. spirals came caught. back to the ear right the, the yeah. second throw was a little wobbly but uh still pretty decent form but as you said, I mean, this, this section of the episode, what's so great about it is that it is really deep when we look at the toll it's taken on him. But then it is funny because she wants to play with the sleepies. Right. And <laughs> and wants to have them fight with each other and then they can bet on them like gladiators. Yeah. And he's like, uh, no, we can't do that. And then her next suggestion, well, why don't we write these scripts for them, have them act them out, film it, and put it on YouTube and see who gets the most hits. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it was great. It's basically a, the perfect friend for for Topher, you know, like, so, which is really funny because we see, well, honestly, is did Topher put basically himself into, you know, into this program. I mean, we know it's not exactly Topher, but uh, it seems like a lot like him, you know? Yeah. Well, let's be honest. I mean, for, for a guy, if we weren't married, she's perfect. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. So, you know, again, loneliness leads to nothing good, which, which is what DeWitt tells Boyd when he questions her about this. And, you know, she clearly understands about the toll that it takes working there and and like you said at the top of the show that the break that she's basically made with with victor's character you know it's you know what's it going to do to her i mean we don't know it hasn't been that long all right uh anything else about topher you want to bring up no no i think i pretty much got it all right well talking about emotional tolls what the hell's going on with paul ballard oh man I mean, we see them eating dinner, and clearly, he's not into it. No, no, he's, I guess the best word to say is distracted. Yeah, I mean, apparently he doesn't talk about the dollhouse much anymore, and we understand why, because of the warning he received. Right, right. But he's supposed to be playing it cool and not letting on that 
that he knows, and he's doing a pretty crap job of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, we know a few weeks have gone by, so it took him this long to get prints from her wine glass? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe it hasn't been that long, though. Maybe it's just like the next day or something. Well, I, I mean, I got the impression that, you know, when we went back that at the dollhouse, that they've been keeping things low key for a while after the Dominic incident. So all things being equal, but I guess, you know, who knows? So Ballard takes his wine glass to the uh, FBI. Well, I guess he didn't actually take the wine glass, but regardless, he's got the computer all queued up. He just needs his friend to use her passcode so that they can- Yes. And, you know, again, you understand why she's hesitant. And and I love his line that they are missing persons. They just don't know it. Right. Right. And I mean, we can look at that a couple of ways. I mean, obviously they volunteered for the dollhouse. We, I mean, we assume, I mean, you know, we saw that was how Caroline got there, Mm -hmm. but maybe that's an assumption we should not be making. Maybe some of these people were brought there against their will we don't know that right and and certainly like and again i can't remember oh sam right from the the college uh who we you know we actually we don't know what decision he made we assume he he signed up for the dollhouse but we haven't seen him right 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 so but he was definitely kind of coerced into it Um, yeah yeah but but again like we said at the time what are his options stand trial for murder Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Coerce, right? So, all right. Well, Loomis, you know, hits the enter key, a photo that says Annabeth S. And of course, Ballard's excited. And then a whole series of mugshots start appearing with all sorts of different names and aliases. And then everything goes blank on the computer. Uh, I thought it was kind of a leap that Loomis, now I believe you. Well, isn't it more likely that there was just some sort of computer glitch that, I, I mean, is somebody well, uh, tracking every time somebody enters one of the dolls that's in the system or somebody that, I, you know what I'm saying? You know, we know that, um, that, that the dollhouse has incredible resources. And so, yes, obviously they are. The dollhouse clearly is, you know, tracking every one of their dolls. Now, is that what you or I would think if we were Loomis? You know, I don't know. But, you know, you'd have to think the FBI has pretty good computers, pretty good firewalls, and for, you know, the information to pop up, to disappear just as quickly as it came up, well, you know, that seems a little suspicious, right? Okay. All right. I'll 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 go with that. So... So basically we see Paul and Melly getting on like a couple and, and, you know, of course we know it's got to be difficult because he knows the truth or at least some of the truth about her. And now maybe this makes it even more difficult. And then that, that line, she tells him, I'll give you what you need. doesn't have to mean anything. And and surprisingly then, you know, he kisses her roughly. And I mean, is he getting out his anger at, yeah, it's a little rough, which is not cool, but you know, yeah, it's yeah, like it's man, that's that's kind of a disturbing scene because she says it doesn't have to mean anything. That's like seems to act as some kind of aphrodisiac for him, 
Um, and then the whole, you know, the, the, the scene itself is he's like throwing her around and being very rough. And it's like, so it's, yeah, man, that's like we said, he is all over the place. He's just a mess. Well, right. And it's, I guess, who is he angry at the dollhouse, the FBI, the, you know, the, the conspiracy himself. I mean, her true past, which seems kind of misplaced. I mean, he certainly can't be mad at Melly. It's not her fault. Is he mad at the person that planted the the message? So, you know, all of the above, and and that's what caused him to snap at this point, you know? Well, he could also be frustrated that here was a girl that he, you know, like he doesn't let people in, right? We know Ballard is. And so here's a person he was letting in, and then she's taken away from him, just like that. And he now she's, you know, it's it's almost as if the the girl, you know, we say, well, Melly's still there. She's still beautiful and she's still really nice and awesome. But he knows that she's not like real, right? That she's not. Yeah. And 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 so he probably feels like one would feel if a loved one were, were killed or, or, you know, were suddenly lost like that. Okay. Well, he knows she's a spy, right? Yeah, but she doesn't, he, he knows well, she doesn't. that she doesn't know, but that she's a spy, yes. Okay. So then why continue to have a relationship with her? Why doesn't he just say, you know what, uh, it's not working, you know, I like you as a friend, I'm your neighbor, if you need a cup of sugar, knock on my door, but but he chooses to take this approach and, and right. stay physically close to her. Is it protection? You know, does he feel like he needs to protect her from something? I don't know. Is it possible that he really does like her on some level? And maybe that's part of the anger that you know, I, I like, I mean, it, it's like in some of these shows where the human and the android develop a relationship and, and there's, mm-hmm. you know, certain hurdles that have to be uh, gotten over. But the other interesting thing that comes at the end of his story is the next day when she says, are you, you know, are you going to do your dollhouse thing today? Try to find a client. And he says, well, I did find one. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, who? Does he think she's a client? Does he consider a doll a client? Because no. I don't think he, he, he's gone that far in what he's found out. I mean, he doesn't know that these people sign their lives over, does he? I don't think he knows like, yeah, how, how it actually works, how they get people uh, to do this. Um, but what I'm pretty sure he was referring to was himself when he said, I found one. Yeah. Because he is now, he is, he's knowingly had sex with a doll. So he, he, he he feels like now he's no better than the other people who, who, you know, pay money to do basically that. Okay. And that makes sense. Sure. So, all right, well, let's take a look at the the main story, which is of course the engagement and I, I love how they they present this. We, you know, we see that little scene, a bunch of rich men drinking while they're waiting to play tennis. Wife rides by on the horse, but then the horse turns up missing. And then Echo wakes up in the dollhouse chair 
And DeWitt tells her, Margaret, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're dead. <laughs> and, you know, I love that line. But then I also love the fact that, that we see DeWitt with a friend. You know, we talked about Topher not having any friends and no personal connections. And, and we haven't seen that out of DeWitt, which is, you know, obviously a problem. So it was nice to see that, that personal connection there between two friends. I, I really like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And especially since, you know, she had basically her Topher moment last week as Miss Lonely Hearts. Well, now we see her with like an actual friend. Um, right. So yeah, there, right. there is some some balance there between like her story and Topher's, you know. Right. And, you know, the fact that we're using life after death to solve a murder, I thought that was a pretty cool little twist there in in the story. But most importantly, DeWitt has allowed her dead friend's consciousness to be placed in echo. Why? So if we go back to, and we, we talked about this at the, at the beginning of the podcast, why did she allow her friend to have her consciousness stored? Right. So, so we know it's possible. I mean, well, look, we know it's possible because all of the dolls have had their original consciousness stored so that it can then be returned when their five years is up. So why does she let her friend do this? That, you're right. That's a, a good question. Um, one might be, one reason might be is what we see throughout this episode is that these people are way too privileged with way too much money and way too much time. Okay. Um, and so no one here like actually works and they all just sit around and complain about stuff that, uh, you know, only like super rich people could. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if that's the thing. I think basically what we've learned from Margaret is she was a paranoid person. She did not let people in. She did not have close relationships. Um, she was very guarded her entire life. And so, you know, it seems like this was just a kind of like a precaution, like she was actually predicting, which ironically, at the end, she writes a note where she you know, was predicting her son would kill her. I don't, I don't know how that could be entered as evidence, actually, but there you go. And, uh, you know, so she has her consciousness stored, you know, thinking that, well, I'm going to be murdered and I'm going to have to come back and try to figure out. I, I don't know. Well, it seems like a stretch to convince Adele DeWitt of that. I, right. I mean, of all the rich clients, and certainly she's not the only one that, that avails themselves of the dollhouse, I mean, you could come up with any of a number of reasons why I should have my consciousness stored at the dollhouse. So we don't know, but the fact that it's possible, and at least in this one instance, has happened you know, it's really something to pay attention to as Boyd points out on, on several occasions, but it, it does give her a chance to go like George Bailey and it's a wonderful life to hear what people really thought about her. Mm-hmm. And it certainly was not a pretty picture. And, you know, on the one hand, I love what she does through echo, you know, leaving the little notes for each of them that, sort of rehabilitates her image in their eyes, which I guess you could say is cheating, but yeah, a little bit, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, it's just, a little bit. It, if anything, it, it, it's a, I mean, you know, 
dollhouse, I wouldn't say it was a place to go for life lessons, but, you know, there is a message there that, you know, like gather ye rosebuds, right? Like, you know, go and tell the people in your life that you love, that you love them while you're still alive. Because, you know, while, you know, what uh, Margaret does is is nice and everything, um, really, you don't have that option of having your consciousness stored and come back so that you can make things right with, with your family, you know? Right. And that was why I found the brother's story so interesting because he has come back and, and maybe he did come back simply to borrow money, which, you know, may or may not be true. But when he's asked about the conversation he had with his sister, he just kind of like, ah, you know, hey, remember that time when we were kids and blah, blah, blah. And then he says, it wasn't important what she said. And I'm thinking like, uh, you're lying, dude. You're the murderer. Right. But that's probably exactly what happened, you know, because yes. we all have friends that we don't see for long stretches. And then when we reconnect, it's it's almost as if no time elapsed. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah. And so because she goes to him with the notion that he is, you know, like in classic well you know it's kind of like the agatha christie model right there were a bunch of people in a room one of these people is the killer and you got the detective trying to figure it out right right and and you know and then followed up by like murder she wrote and columbo and you know name your detective show insert name here but uh you know so you know each person has the finger pointed at them at some point or another well, you know, you should check out Uncle Bill because he's really, you know, so she goes to him trying to expose him as the murderer and finds out that, well, no, he literally just came back to reconcile and reconnect with his sister. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that, that, that was it. And, and it was, you're right. It was kind of a, a sweet, uh, you know, monologue he had there talking about kind of making things right with his sister. And then at the end of it, he's like, says something about Nick. So now Nick has a finger pointed at him, and or and then before it was uh, Jack, you know. So it's like each one she goes to, and it's like, and then of course it comes back. You know, it's so it, it was, you know. I I, I kind of I'm not necessarily into the, all those detective shows and everything, but I do have like a certain fondness for that bunch of people in the room that the, you know some of the classic type setups that uh, you see in TV every now and then. You know, there's a cool one. Uh, there's not a whole lot of episodes. It's called Sherlock. Have you ever seen it? Uh, I have actually. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but uh, that, for- that doesn't use the people in the room model, though. I know, I know, I know. But there was that one episode of Doctor Who. Remember when um, uh, they go back to see Agatha Christie? Oh yeah. With uh, yeah. And and that was you know so it was an Agatha Christie they actually Agatha Christie was there and and it's you know like in a very meta format uh, Donna Noble says it's a murder in a house and you're Agatha Christie you know it's like wow <laughs> so um, but yeah so and uh, that was a great episode you know so you know right and, like and you know the other they they provided these little details like you'd see people talking and then you'd see uncle bill in the background picking up these expensive uh vases and looking at them and and we're thinking like okay he's trying to figure out how much he can sell it for yeah yeah pretty clearly yeah yep 
But when we find out that she left Jack the horses instead of money, again, that, that helps us point the finger at him. And the fact that she doesn't understand that he doesn't understand why he'd be disappointed to only get the horses. I, I found that a little difficult to understand myself, but well, I, I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of a goofy plot point that they put in the script. First of all, it's like, why, why would he get that? Why would he understand that? You know, but it goes to Margaret's not really understanding any of these people that, that she, you know, like the, when she first, meets them in the room and she says, Oh, Margaret always talked about how much she loved you and everything and how much you meant to her. And they all looked at each other like, you definitely have never met her mother. You know, like, <laughs> like again, like the, her vision of herself is so out of whack with what the rest of the world saw as her. So her idea that, Oh, this is a really good gift. He'll really like this, appreciate this. Well, no, no, he doesn't because you know, you don't get it. You don't understand these people like you think you do. Yep. So, and, and that was one of the, the, again, one of the great things about this narrative storytelling device where she continually slips up by saying things that she's saying as Margaret. And then, you know, she's, you know, they catch her on it and then, you know, she's able to, to talk her way out of it. And even that scene at the very end when she walks into the bedroom and, and mm-hmm. finds the grieving husband sitting on the bed because of course that's her bedroom, you know, and why right. wouldn't she, she walk in there, but then she's got, Oh, I'm sorry. I just got lost. Yeah. Yeah. Big house. But um, that scene when she's trying to console Nicholas as a mother would. And of course he reads it completely wrong because it's echo for crying out loud. Sure. Right. And then he kisses her and she's like this violent reaction yeah. almost. And he says, you need some water. You like, <laughs> you know, some mouthwash or something like, Oh, that was great. But yeah. it was also one of those details that enables Nicholas to put together what's really going on here. And, you know, later on, I, I love that, that scene in the stables when she's like, Oh, thank God. I I've had such a hard time. How did you figure it out? Well, duh, the dollhouse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's very nonchalant about it, but uh, yeah, like I said, you know, he's not at all surprised that, uh, that she was, her consciousness has been put into someone else's body. Yeah. And the other thing that I forgot to mention in terms of dollhouse clients, up until this point, other than DeWitt herself, they've all been male, correct? Or did I forget one? Hmm. That's a good question, actually. And and in most cases, at the end of it, there is the sexual component. So yes. I thought it was I thought it was good that they showed it you know, from the other side that here is a woman that was clearly before her marriage to Jack using the dollhouse for companionship, or at least that's the way it came across in her uh, interactions with DeWitt. But eventually Boyd's confronting Adele about, you know, this whole idea of offering eternal life. And, and I think he's concerned that is this a one-off or is this something that we're considering offering 
down the road because as he says, it's the beginning of the end. And even though she tells him it's a one-time situation, you have to wonder whether it is or not. Yeah. Well, and actually, now that you mentioned this, and, and this was when you said, you know, I was wondering whether um, all the dollhouse clients we've seen were men, I was kind of running through them. And I remembered the, the one guy who's every year he has his wife, um, he shows her the house that he bought for his wife, right? Yeah, sure. And I'm like, so her consciousness seems like it's been stored, right? Oh, good point. Yeah, Pat Oswald episode. Yeah, Pat Oswald, right? So, oh. yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't even touch on that. Like, I just thought about that. Like, well, there's at least one case where, yeah, that someone did have. Uh, so then she must have gone through the. I, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously now. I think I'm reading way too much into that. Episode. Well, no, no, no. I don't think you are. But, but the problem though with that, and and. I think that's clear because the interaction he has with her is it's his dead wife. Did he have the foresight to have his wife's consciousness stored in case something happened? Because remember, she was killed in a car accident. Right. Yeah, exactly. So unless they're able to do it while she's dying or, yeah, I mean, we don't know the details, but regardless, the details aren't even important, really. The fact is we know they did it with another yes. person. Right. And if they did it with two, they probably did it with three. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and and he mentions, and I, I guess they probably mentioned this before, but um, when she says, you know, he says dollhouse, he's like Manhattan. So this is not the LA dollhouse, right? He, he's well, we, a client of the Manhattan dollhouse. Right. Now, we don't know necessarily whether or not he lives wherever they are, or look, obviously they could have put Echo on a plane and flown her to New York. I mean, we don't know. And, you know, uh, and certainly we know that there are dollhouses all around the world. If there's one in LA, of course there would be one in New York. Sure. So, all right. Um, But Victor playing that horse breeder starts putting two and two together. And, and, and again, that was brilliant on Boyd's part, certainly, you know, going back to his days as a, as a police detective, follow the money, which is obviously rule number one in, in solving uh, a crime in, in most cases. But you know, I, I really love that. He has a Southern accent, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely did. He's he's done a lot of different accents. Like this kind of like as listening to this, I'm like because it was convincing, you know. I'm like, wow, he's actually showed a, well. All the actors who are you know the dolls have had to display you know wide ranging uh, acting skills, and uh, so this is that was good. Yeah, absolutely. And and then I love when Echo starts putting two and two together. I think her name's Julia, right? Uh, yes. Friend of her mother's. Starts putting two and two together and realizes that it was her son that drugged the horse with the, and then used the masking agent, which is in fact what was used to mask the way she was killed. And then I love his line, you know, being around you makes this easier to do a second time. 
<laughs> as disgusting yeah. as that is. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's just really an awful person all around, pretty much. But uh, it was kind of cool how they did that because they, you know, like again, we're going back and forth. We suspect Uncle Bill. We suspect Jack. We suspect Nick. Um, I guess we never really suspected Jocelyn at all. No, um, not really. She yeah. was just really emotionally wounded that her mother, you know, just refused to see that she was doing something serious with her life. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, in that scene in, in the, uh, in the stable, you know, when Jack finds out about the doping agent, we think he's mad because the, uh, you know, he tried to, you know, like at first it's like, we think, well, Jack tried to, pull one over but then we realize that jack is surprised by the uh that the the horses have the horse has been drugged um but we still kind of think his violent reaction at first is because his you know evil plan has been found out but you know we see he goes after nick like when he finds nick right away he doesn't try like if we assume he killed margaret well he doesn't know that julie is margaret but he's definitely attacking nick and then and when she realizes well wait a second you know you know jack wouldn't have known about how to to dope an animal and then boom the you know the penny drops and she figures out that her own son killed her which yeah. you know really if you think about like the kind of messed up Oedipal electra kind of things going on with nick in this episode um he both has tried to have sex with his own mother and then uh he definitely you know in two times he one time successfully second time unsuccessfully tried to kill his mom so there's some really messed up psychology going on with that guy yes there is and the did you notice like he got stabbed jack that is with i don't know if it was a pitchfork in in the barn or whatever he got stabbed in the side with something and then he pulls it out and then he ends up firing that shotgun through the door which which hits nicholas virtually in the same spot so then the two of them with their wounds on the side are are fighting and then the other thing i didn't understand though he did inject echo why didn't it affect her? No, he didn't, he didn't get a chance to. Oh, okay. I, I saw him put it up to her neck. I thought maybe he did, but. Yeah, no, no. Uh, okay. But, you know, so we get through all that and, and the family meets for the reading of the new and revised will, which Echo wrote, which, uh, again, I mean, you could argue that, ah, oh, come on, this is pretty sappy, but yeah, I like I liked it, though. Yeah, I, it was well. Again, like we talked about, her kind of making things right with her family. But you know, like like I said, you know, people take take the lesson from from the episode, right? That you you don't you can't do that. So you know, make things right with them, like now, right? You because know. you're not going to get this chance to do it after you die. Yeah, but uh, and then the final, you know, when she gives the note to uh, to Jack as they're watching the horses out along that one fence, but. You know, so we get to the end and we're back at the dollhouse. Margaret's in the chair and Adele brings up, you know, that I know you were tempted to not come back. And then she says, Addie, will I see my life flash before my eyes every single moment? Mm -hmm. And 
I was wondering whether we're supposed to take that literally or not. You know, I mean, is that part of the dollhouse process? I mean, the other thing is, you know, we had that scene tonight when we, well, we don't know what he's doing at first, but, but Topher is imprinting Sierra and it seems like it's taken a while. You know, most of the times, you know, we, we, we see the doll lie down in the chair boom and gets up and everything's fine we don't see the lights flashing you know almost something like out of dr frankenstein but that line that you'll see every single moment of your life flash before your eyes i don't know whether we're supposed to take that literally or whether that's supposed to go back to what you've been saying which is that for the viewer that's the message we need to take away is that you know every incident in your life is important so mm-hmm. be aware of that and, and yeah. act accordingly. I, you know, I think it's kind of a little of both. I, I, I didn't really think of it that second way, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think on the, uh, you're right on a literal level. Like I think we've seen before when they get the wipes, all these images from the recent uh, events and even from prior ones kind of go flashing by, right? When they get their, their, their minds wiped, uh, but uh, but yeah that that uh, that metaphorical level as well is there I think that's that's a good point yeah so the final thing we see of Dewitt though is this look she's got about her just really questioning what it is she's doing here and obviously for me that's something that that I want to really pay attention to as we move into you know the last couple this is episode ten so we've got eleven twelve and then epitaph one to to look at but i i I don't know i mean what what grade are you giving this one i would give this i'm kind of wavering between a minus and b plus wow okay because and and here's the only reason why i mean this is a really good episode obviously i have to nitpick always you know jack is at the bedroom door with the shovel trying to you know throw his body against the door to get in uh, and then all of a sudden he's got a shotgun, which literally just before Margaret said they don't have any guns in the house, right? Oh. Or at least implied it. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, he like produces a shotgun, which is strange. So, but, th- but that's not, I'm not agreeing it down because of that. Um, okay. You know, I, I, I just, you know, I guess I just found, I don't know, like, so many of these characters were just like whiny little rich kids who were like, oh, mommy didn't do that, blah, 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 all this stuff. It's like, you know, get a job. Yeah, you know, like the whole Nick, I know they want Nick just to be like a totally awful person and character. And so, of course, he's going to be someone who refuses to actually get a job and someone who just, you know, tries to make money by gambling and, then tries to get out of his gambling debts by killing his own mother. So he's a completely reprehensible person. So, you know, yeah, the more I'm talking out, I guess there's no reason why I shouldn't give this an A because my objections are are not very <laughs> solid ones and don't stand to the artistry of the episode itself. The episode itself, I guess, was really good. Um, and I, I did like the, uh, the like the, I said, the setup of kind of the, the, the detective in the house with the, the, you know the murderer in there, and let's figure out which of these people is the murderer. So I, you know, as I'm talking through, I'm changing to an A. 
a, a full-on A? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and I think that's a, a fair. I mean, that's that's what I'm giving it. And you know me. I'm, of course, now you make me paranoid to add a plus. So I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not saying that yet. You can go but, ahead, dude. It's, it's know, all good. I know. <laughs> I know. But, but I think this episode had so much that the whole idea of the emotional toll that the dollhouse takes on individuals as, as seen through Topher, as seen through Adele DeWitt, the fact that Ballard is, you know, falling down the rabbit hole. Well, we've, we've known that for a while, but then he gets this information about Melly. And so now we've got to add that to what we already know about Melly, which is that she has a daughter that died and we don't really know the circumstances around that. So now we've got this, person that apparently was a criminal that had a daughter that died and, and there's just so much that they're they're throwing out there now uh, granted you could say that well that's a lot to keep throwing out there you only got two episodes to go um i don't know but but i i think they did it well so that's you know that's why i'm sticking with the a melly is always been this like super sweet and and uh gentle and kind person except for when she's you know killing guys um <laughs> yeah but uh to to see that like there's there's mug shots where she looks pretty pretty harsh you know that that's pretty jarring there yes it is so all uh, right anything else that we haven't brought up yet um i don't i don't think so okay all right. Well, you know, it's really a good one. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll mention as we do the closing in a second, the title of next week's episode, but I'll just say, I don't really remember it, but for some reason, the title makes me think this wasn't that great an episode. So I hope I'm wrong. I'll find out certainly later in the week, but uh, Anyway, all right. <laughs> want to thank you for joining us tonight. Well, Love you can to tell us what the title is. I mean, well, I, well, I'll get to that. You know, when I, I get to that at the end. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. All right. Love to hear from you about what you think about Dollhouse, anything else in genre TV. Encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci Fi TV Rewatch community. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to Sci Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week to talk about Dollhouse, episode 11 of season one, titled Briar Rose. But until then... You know, it's funny, because like now I guess I'm starting to meet some of our listeners uh, you know, just out and everything. And I was just really surprised. One lady, she came up to me the other day, and she said, what you're doing is sick. <laughs>